The following dramatization is based on the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 11 and 12, and 1 Kings, chapters 11 to 31. Hi, I'm Angela, and welcome to my podcast, A Beautiful Thing. I hope that you've enjoyed the first series, The Twelve Women of the Gospel, and that through the podcast, the Lord has spoken to you in a new way through these scriptures. They are there for you to return to, or indeed to listen to for the first time, and I would love you to do this if you've not heard the first series on the women in the gospel. In this Advent series, The Women in Jesus' Genealogy, I continue to dramatise our sisters in the scriptures with commentary and reflection. To set the scene, the genealogy of Jesus is told in Matthew's Gospel. Matthew's Gospel was originally written for a Jewish audience, so the first Jewish Christians would have realised its deep significance. At the time when Matthew wrote the Gospel, women would not normally be mentioned in a role of genealogy. Matthew deliberately includes them. However, Matthew does not mention Bathsheba directly, but as Uriah's wife, and she is the only woman in the genealogy not to be included directly by name, perhaps due to shame and scandal. This advent, 2,000 years after the first coming of Christ, I invite you to listen to how the story of Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, speaks into your heart as we meditate on our Lord who is unafraid to enter into humanity's shame and scandal. The Gospel according to Matthew, the genealogy of Jesus. Boaz fathered Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered King David. David fathered Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. The sum of generations is therefore 14 from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the Babylonian deportation, and 14 from the Babylonian deportation to Christ. The Gospel of the Lord. I invite you to pause now and rest and imagine the dramatised scene unfolding before your eyes. In David's old age, Adonijah, son of Haggit, grew pretentious and threw a great feast, declaring himself king of Israel and notably did not invite his half-brother, Solomon, nor myself to the feast. The prophet Nathan warned me of how Adonijah was working to usurp his brother, my son. And so I went to my husband's, David's room, prostrating myself on the floor, knowing that he would not refuse me, and reminded him of the oath that he had made for Solomon as a child. You swore to me, your servant, by the Lord God, that your son Solomon is to be king after you. He is the one to sit on your throne, I said. And here is Adonijah, king, and you, my lord king, know nothing about it. He has sacrificed 
quantities of oxen, fattened calves and sheep, and has not invited your servant Solomon. Yet you are the man, my lord king, to whom all of Israel looks to tell them who is to succeed. And when my lord king falls asleep with his ancestors, Solomon and I shall be made to suffer for this, I cried. Nathan, too, spoke up for Solomon. However, David was a man of pride, who would not forsake an oath that he had made to me, and called me again to himself and declared, Just as I swore by the Almighty, God of Israel, that your son Solomon should be king after me and take my place on the throne, so I shall bring it about this very day. And at this I knelt down and prostrated myself on my face before David, praising his faithfulness to me for saving my son and I. I cannot tell you the sheer relief and joy that I felt knowing that our future would be secure in Israel and my son would be king with a royal dynasty. And so it happened. Long live King Solomon, the people shouted. The prophet Nathan and Zadok the priest mounted my son Solomon on David's mule that very day, anointing him with oil, and the trumpet sounded and the pipes played with so much rejoicing as to split the earth. I was overwhelmed to finally see my son, the son of David, now king. And I had helped secure the throne for him and, of course, save my own life. If Adonijah had succeeded, we would have been lost. I was indeed filled with jubilation. It was obvious to all that I was David's favourite wife, both of us playing a hard price for our union. He married me as a widow after putting Uriah on the front line of battle. David had lusted over me, seeing me bathe myself and being unable to resist my beauty, summoned me to himself. And as we came together, we conceived a child. Yes, I was married and unfaithful to Uriah, but could I, a woman, really have said no to a king's invitation without consequences? A part of me was filled with fear and trepidation as I went to his bedchamber knowing that I had a husband. But another part of me became swept up in the excitement of being wanted by a king, and not just any king, but David. Those days were dark. I had not understood that a child would mean innocent Uriah, would be put to a brutal death. It seemed our actions had angered the Lord God. For soon after giving birth, my baby became gravely ill and no amount of fasting could save our child. <laughs> Indeed, the wind was taken from my sails as I cried bitterly into the night for my baby. I had nursed him in my womb for nine months for him to be taken from me. And I began to regret our affair, our conception, and mourned for both my child and Uriah's fate, whom I had once loved. These were long and difficult days for David and I, he too affected by our baby's death. 
He did his best to console me, and in this we soon conceived and bore another son whom we called Solomon. He had the favour of the Lord, the prophet Nathan shared with us, and I felt relief in my heart. I had indeed punished myself replaying the memories of the loss of our firstborn, giving in to the cycle of grief that I could not see a way out of. It was like I was lost in a black hole with no light. But now, with little Solomon, he brought a new joy to my life and I began to hope again. David and I then began to learn how to love one another as husband and wife, how to communicate and how to serve one another. It did not happen overnight, but I won the king's heart and in some ways maybe tragedy had brought us closer. My beauty stood out amongst his other wives, but also my kindness to him, and I did my best to secure a good future for my dear son, ensuring that he would be the one to inherit the throne. And I held all of this in my heart over the years, leading to the day that I finally saw Solomon take the throne. It had not all been in vain. God had indeed shown us his mercy by remembering us and forgiving us, his servants. Our destiny now in the royal kingdom would be assured. That was a story of Bathsheba, a woman surrounded with shame and scandal due to David's adulterous affair with her. After the accustomed period of mourning for her first husband, Uriah, she became the wife of King David, where the child of their union died within a week of his birth. The scriptures tell us of the agony of this great loss of a child and indicate that it is a judgment from the Lord for their affair and the murder of Uriah. However, it is clear that God does not condemn them forever for their sin but instead chooses to bless them with another son, Solomon, who goes on to become the king of Israel, who inherits the throne of David. It would be easy to think of Bathsheba as a two-dimensional character who is very beautiful and tainted by sin, with the classic bathing scene dramatized in the films on the life of David. However, she is a woman who has suffered much tragedy, especially through the loss of her child. In later chapters, the scriptures shows us that she is a woman who fights for her family, her future and God's plan by reminding David of the oath that he had promised, that Solomon would be king. She is a woman of influence and is able to speak directly to a king and intercede for her son, playing an important role in the history of Israel. Both David and Bathsheba are flawed human beings like us, but the significance of including her in Jesus' genealogy shows us that our Lord uses imperfect human beings like us for his glory. So now in prayer we come to you, Lord. Jesus, you honoured Bathsheba in your royal lineage. Thank you for the ways in which you redeem our lives and the power you have to change us. 
This Advent, as we await your coming, help us to be open to your desire for our lives. Help us to create space in our hearts for you. Lord, we await your coming. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. I invite you to stay in his presence. You've been listening to a Beautiful Thing podcast with me, Angela Ward. If you enjoy the podcast, then please leave me a review. It helps other people to know about it. And I would love you to do all the usual things. Click and subscribe and follow me on social media and share it with a friend. If you are able to support my creative work, firstly through prayer or financially through Patreon or buy me a coffee with any amount, this will help me to produce more episodes. And the details for all of these things are in the show notes. I look forward to you joining me again next week and I wish you a happy Christmas. In next week's episode, I am going to re-release the story of Mary from the 12 women of the gospel, since she is the final woman mentioned in our Lord's genealogy. She, of course, the mother of God. Until then, may the Lord bless you and lead you more towards the beautiful thing that God wants to do in your life.